Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch Good via evening, the Triple R website. And welcome to episode 0000228 of The Mission. My name is Daniel James. Going to be your host through to eight this evening. Coming to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present. And everyone listening tonight, and uh, particularly Mob, whether you're listening live via Triple R right now or whether you're listening via the National Indigenous Radio Service, thank you all for tuning in. It's been one hell of a year. Speaking of one hells of years, thank you, Vaughnie, for an excellent episode of Double Bounce, an excellent year of said program. Particularly enjoyed this afternoon's show, all the the greatest bits of uh, music that Vaughnie's brought us across uh, the last uh, 12 months, really. So um, I'm sure they'll be up on the uh, on the interwebs uh, after uh, uh, Vaughnie gets a chance to put them on there. He'll be back in January. Now, this is the last episode of the mission for the year as well. Uh, to look back on the... Uh, well, yeah, we're going to look back on the, the joyous and wonderful year that uh, 2023 has been for so many of us. And as is a custom for 2023, the, uh, the, the guest that I had lined up to reflect on the year with me, Ian Ham, friend of the show, I'm sure you're uh, familiar with him if you're a regular listener to the show, is currently in the air at the moment and could be landing any second because his uh, flight from Canberra was uh, severely delayed. So um, what I had envisaged as kind of like, well, you know, two Yorta Yorta men sitting on the back of a porch somewhere in Barma reminiscing the year isn't going to quite be that way. So we'll get Ian on the show for sure, but he'll be via the phone from Telemarine Airport, which won't be quite as intimate, but uh, <clears throat> he will still be full of wisdom. I think uh, it's really good getting him on the show. He's not someone that's particularly affiliated with uh, any particular movement, but he's a, an astute observer of what happens not only in Aboriginal affairs, but uh, in Australia more broadly. So this will be the last time that we look back on the referendum, for instance, uh, uh, in particular. Uh, I've made a point of making sure that we cover it over the last uh, three to four uh, episodes of the mission because of the um, ethnic cleansing that's happening in Gaza at the moment. So much of the oxygen around the national conversation and, and people that are keen around activism when it comes to matters for First Nations people are uh, distracted. So I thought, well, while we've, while we've got this show called The Mission, we'll talk about that. So we've had uh, uh, Gary Foley on the show, we've had Thomas Mayo on the show, and last week we had uh, Megan Davis on the show all keen players and uh, public intellectuals when it comes to this space and um, uh, various other spaces as well. So we'll talk about the referendum a little bit as well, but we'll talk about um, also what's ahead for First Nations people in 2024, what the threats are, where the pressures are, what the pressure points um, 
are for First Nations people across the country. Some of them are more mainstream orientated than you may actually think. And while the oxygen in this space was completely, almost completely consumed by the, the referendum, the problems, believe it or not, have not gone away in any way, shape or form. In some areas they have gone backwards, some areas they have flatlined, and in some areas there have been marginal improvements. So we'll talk to Ian about that. Um, I have some snippets and some clips that I've cut out from the year just to give you a more of a colourful look at uh, what we've had all been through this year. Um, it seems like so long ago that the uh, the referendum was held. So uh, we'll have clips from Peter Dutton, uh, Anthony Albanese, Jacinda Price and uh, various others just to give you a a clearer picture of the lay of the land as we move into 2024 with what could be potentially, uh, I think it is actually a, a federal election year, but on top of that, and it, it's important because it dictates the way elections go here, there will be a US election next year. And as we saw with the referendum, so much of the toxic politics that comes from the US invariably finds its way here. So we need to be mindful of that, and we also need to talk about it. So I'm going to play some tunes um, until I hear from Ian. Uh, this young and up-and-coming artist, I'm a big fan of, uh, his name's Charlie Pride. The whole show is going to be dedicated to him. He, it was his uh, anniversary of his death earlier this week. So um, he's such an integral part of this show. So it's going to be Charlie all the way down. The next you'll hear from me is when I have Ian on the line. Um, if you want to join the conversation for when that happens, there is a text line, 0466-981027. Now, this is the mission on 3RRR-FM. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Thank you, Mr. Dare. It is quarter past seven. You're listening to Triple R, the mission, more specifically, on 102.7 FM. Uh, I have word. I have a text message from Ian saying that he has landed and that he is going to notify me when he's in quite enough spot to join us from the airport. So he won't be too far off. But um, while we do that, let's take in some uh, more Charlie. And then hopefully by the time this track finishes we'll be on the phone with ian this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia triple r is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support triple r by donating or becoming a subscriber hit up the triple r website to find out how time to fade uncle charlie down for a bit because we have Ian Ham on the line, live from the airport, and it's uh, great for him to make the effort. Uh, he's he's. We won't name and shame the uh, the airline, Ian, but uh, your your flight was delayed, and that's just so twenty twenty three, isn't it? My flight was delayed and then delayed again. It's just so. I'll be glad when this year's over, Daniel. <laughs> I can tell you that. It's been one one hell of a year. Um, Got you on the show because you've got your fingers in so many pies as a Yorta Yorta man and um, a board member on I think it's over 30 boards or something like that, isn't it, is it Ian? Uh, I've got it down to 12, actually, so, you know. Jeez. I'm, 
Yes. I'm, I'm almost what you call semi-retired. <laughs> wow. Well, that's just, that's just crazy. Um, look, got you on, got you on, because you're you, you, you're not particularly affiliated with with anyone. Um, you're an acute observer, not only of Aboriginal affairs, but of uh, uh, you know politics and uh, Australian society more broadly. So um, I thought I'd get you on the show, and we'd start off with this. I've got a, I've, I've I've arranged some clips for us to uh, f- to play, so we can um, uh, be reminded where things started, particularly on August 30, with uh, Anthony Albanese making this announcement. My fellow Australians, for many years, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have advocated for constitutional recognition through a voice. Our government, along with every single state and territory government, has committed to it. Legal experts have endorsed it. People on all sides of the parliament have backed it. Faith groups and sporting codes and local councils and businesses and unions have embraced it. An army of volunteers from every part of this great nation are throwing all of their energy behind it. Now, my fellow Australians, you can vote for it. The idea for a voice came from the people and it will be decided by the people. Today I announce that referendum day will be the 14th of October. Ian, I hope you could hear that. I could hear it, yes. Heard the whole thing again. um, (laughs) what What immediately comes to you hearing that back. That was way back on uh, the 30th of, uh, of August. Um, on paper, the, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, laid out, uh, uh, I guess, a, a case for voting yes. He, he, he talked about the, the amount of support. Every state and territory leader in the country supported it. We had big business behind it. We had sporting codes behind it. We had sporting clubs behind it. Um, and we, of course, know what happened since. But what's your immediate recollection uh, in regards to hearing that? Yeah, look, when I hear it, Daniel, I think a couple of things. It was a great speech, but, look, me more than anyone knows that words alone don't win arguments. You have to do the groundwork. You have to do the old-fashioned hard yakka. Um, and that's what just did not happen during the entire campaign. So by the time it got to that, that date in August... Um, the speech in itself was fine, but all the work that needed to be done to make those words come true, to give the speech a real chance of it fulfilling the destiny that it outlined, that just hadn't been done. Um, I, I think, I mean, if I'm being brutally honest about it, I mean, this was it was never going to fly. Mm-hmm. The, the referendum was never going to fly. When we got to October uh, 30th, August, and we heard that speech, I mean, my own feelings on the day was, when I heard it, he announced the date. Uh, I got asked this earlier today, and the only words I could think of was 14 October, a date that will live in infamy. Now, it probably isn't as bad as that, but they were the first words that popped in my head. 
anybody who knows a date that will a, a date that will live in infamy know what that refers to. Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor. Yeah. 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 You know, it wasn't a Pearl Harbor moment, but I have to say, I think, I think his speech portrayed an optimism and a hope that really was really now the last shot in the locker. If I'm honest about it, 30, 30, um, 30 August was the last shot in the locker for the Yes campaign because they hadn't done they hadn't done the hard yards and the homework. They hadn't really understood what you need to do to win a referendum, and certainly hadn't done what what uh, was needed to make make it happen. I think when historians look back. Um, on when the the death knell for the referendum really came about, they'll look back to um, April the fifth, and that's when Peter Dutton uh, led his party, the Liberal Party, to um, a position that opposed opposed the Voice. And we've got a clip of him uh, making that oh. announcement. Well, the Liberal Party uh, resolved today to say yes to constitutional recognition for Indigenous Australians, yes to a local and regional body so that we can get practical outcomes for Indigenous people on the ground. But there was a resounding no to the Prime Minister's Canberra voice. It should be very clear to Australians by now that the Prime Minister is dividing our country and the Liberal Party seeks to unite our country. We want to make sure that we can get the best possible outcomes for Indigenous Australians. And we do that through recognising Indigenous Australians in the Constitution and by providing for their say, their voice, to be heard by government uh, in a very clear way, but at a local level. Uh, having a Canberra voice is not going to resolve the issues on the ground in Indigenous communities. It's also important uh, that we will continue to engage with the government in relation to legislation and the committee process that's underway at the moment. But the Prime Minister has so far changed the wording... To be put to the now, the, the, the referendum, the chances of a successful referendum oh. were pretty much dead in the water from that moment on. I mean, I don't think, I don't think any of us had been around for a while, Ian, um, thought that uh, Peter Dutton would take any other position apart from opposing oh. um, the voice. But in retrospect, and even at the time, you know, I did a fair bit of writing about it um, throughout the year, the, the Yes campaign didn't do enough. They didn't get on the front no. foot early enough to countenance things like the, the Canberra voice, um, uh, portraying the voice as being a, an elite Canberra voice. Um, there was a, you know, particularly from, and I'm going to be blunt here, particularly from Yes 23, there was a she'll be right, the campaign hasn't started yet type of approach to campaigning. But as soon as Peter Dutton came out uh, and announced his opposition, surely that was when the campaigning should have been on in earnest. I'll be honest, Daniel. This was doomed from 2017. Uh, there were two. There were two things in 2017 which made one made me cringe, and the other one made me grimace. But the other one made me go, "This will never fly." The first one was I, when the Uluru statement first came out. It's a, it's a statement of hope, of aspiration, of inspiration of what we might be as a country. But I remember thinking at the time, "God, I hope nobody actually wants to." implement this as it actually reads because that's just not going to happen mm-hmm. that's not the australian electorate that's that it's something to aim to knowing that you'll never get there parts of it you might but you're not going to do the whole thing in full the second thing happened about a week later when malcolm turnbull the then prime minister came out and said 
third chamber of parliament, it'll wreck Australia's democracy and Him and Barnaby, yeah. Yep, dead in the water. This was never going to fly. Not in our lifetimes, mate. And and to think that it would, I don't know what might, what might, what made people think that it would, showed a real political naivety about understanding how politics works in this country and understanding the Australian electorate. That that really, you know, that was the, that was the thing that showed through more than anything else. By the time it got to Peter Dutton saying they opposed it, I mean, you could see that from the day he became leader of the opposition was that his goal, as, as any opposition does, is how do I tear down the government? I mean, that's been the playbook, particularly of the conservative side of politics uh, in this country since um, Tony Abbott deployed it so successfully against Julia Gillard. Tear down the government. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if it's a if it's if it's morally or ethically the wrong thing to do. You still do it. You just tear them down and whatever it is. And and you could see play. The longer he stalled. The, the clearer it became that he's waiting for the right opportunity to be able to tear this down. And that was the 5th of April. You were um, clear, and, and, and some other people sort of echoed what you said uh, in the lead-up to the official announcement, is that um, the, the campaign itself, the referendum itself, would uh, reveal what Australia, yeah. what sort of country we are. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of months after the result now and, and having lived through the campaign as all First Nations people did, no matter what side of the argument they were on, uh, what sort of country is Australia, Ian? I, I, think, uh, I think by our nature, Australians are... I, I said this not long ago. We are a giving people, but we are not a generous people. And by giving, I mean... When we see our fellow Australians in desperate need, when something bad happens, like where it's a bushfire disaster or, or in the past couple of days what's happening in far north Queensland with the, with the torrential rainfalls, we will give because we see our fellow Australians in distress. But we're not a generous people. We don't like any... Or we don't, when we see somebody or perceive somebody getting something more than we have or going past us, we kneecap it straight away. Tall poppy syndrome, for want of a better, better way of putting it. The perception of, of the referendum proposal giving a group of Australians something that others had, something that other Australians didn't have, whether there was any truth in that or not, but the perception of it, that's where this lost, and it was always going to lose. We're, we're a giving people, and we give generously, but we are not by our nature a generous people. That's what it revealed us to be. It also revealed most Australians are in their own little bubble. You know, and and that's fair enough because people have got they got their jobs, they got their kids, they got their mortgages, they got this, they got that. Think high notions of state reform, such as changing the constitution to take us be a better nation. Man, I got to get to work tomorrow, and petrol just went up another twenty cents a litre. You know, that's where most Australians are at. We are not a we are not a people who are good at dealing with complexity. There's that, you know. We, we don't deal with complexity. We like things really simple and preferably black or white, right or wrong. The unfortunate thing is that is not how the world operates. So most Australians just can't wrap their head around the world or their part of it, which is our country. So I think that's what it revealed to me. And, yes, there is still... an. Un- the other thing it revealed to me was, despite what we may think, 
the amount of Australians who just have no connection or understanding of anything Aboriginal. The only thing they see is, is two things. What they see on the news, and that's usually about the really disadvantaged or the really desperate or the really bad things of Aboriginal people, or the ones who run up and down the MCG. And that's it. That's their only connection to things Aboriginal. Um, maybe during NAIDOC week they're at work when there's a morning tea. Or during Reconciliation Week they have a, um, an event, a smoking ceremony. That's it. Other than that, they have no connection, understanding or, or appreciation or, or capacity to empathise with what it's like to be Aboriginal. That's what this revealed to me, a whole bunch of things. Zero four double six nine eight one zero two seven is the text line if you want to join into the conversation. Thank you to uh, the people who've sent through some very lovely texts already. Um, I really appreciate uh, your, your sentiment and uh, thank you uh, for tuning in. Uh, the the campaign itself was uh, probably the most toxic political campaign yeah. of any of its, of any sort that I believe this country has ever seen. It seemed to me that the no side in particular uh, took on the the Steve Bannon. Uh, mantra, and that is to flood the ed zone with shit and leave people to wade through it and sort it out. And by the time um, people have done that, some of the key points by flooding that end zone have taken shape and then start controlling um, the narrative. One of those um, uh, moments came on uh, the 3rd of September when uh, Pete Dutton was uh, interviewed on Sky News. But the Prime Minister's not taken that. All right, Mr Dutton, sorry, sorry, we're nearly out of time, but I'll just ask you very briefly. The PM says, if this fails, that's it. Would you commit to a referendum question on constitutional recognition of First Nations people alone in your first term of government or your second election uh, if elected? Would you have another referendum for constitutional recognition in that term? we, We... we went, we, went to, we went to the last election uh, and a number of elections before that with that as our policy, uh, and that will be our policy going into the next election as well. I think it's right and respectful to recognise Indigenous Australians in the Constitution. We will work with the Labor Party uh, to find a, a common ground. But the Prime Minister having this dummy spit, uh, it, it reminds me of Kevin Rudd that this is the greatest moral challenge of our time, but if, if, if you don't get your own way... Uh, then everyone else can bugger off. And so you'd hold another referendum? Of Australians. So you'd hold another I, I, referendum? I believe very strongly... Yeah, yes, I believe very strongly that uh, it is the right thing to do, uh, but enshrining a voice in the Constitution is divisive. It will divide the country down the middle. Uh, it will not provide the practical outcomes. It will and it wasn't too long after that. I think it was probably a matter of uh. a fortnight, Ian, that... Uh, he stepped back from from that commitment to hold another oh. referendum. He was never going to hold yeah. another referendum. But no. it was a topic that took up conversation during the campaign for about well, probably about four or five days. And so everyone was talking about that instead of talking about the issues at hand. It's a, it's a, it's a devastatingly effective tactic, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, as he said, it has been the policy of the coalition going into several elections. And it has. And they've never and done I it. Take- that's right. There's a difference between having a policy and then implementing your policy. Um, it's honestly good when you don't actually implement any policy. It means you can use it. You can keep using it, saying this is our policy. We're just never going to implement it. So, look, it was devastatingly simple, but it reflects to that thing of of um, understanding the Australian electorate. So, 
should Aboriginal people be recognised in the Constitution as the first peoples of this continent? Well, yes, because that's just a fact, right? So that that's a devastatingly simple one for those who are umming and ahhing about, oh, the voice, I don't know. Uh-uh. Oh, what's that? Dutton said he'll do recognition. Oh, OK, I'll vote no for this because yeah. I, I recognition. Devastatingly simple, you know? It also goes to, I guess, the naivety of the Yes campaign, not understanding that... Um, it's one thing to win a fact, it's another thing to win a proposition. Different things. And so all Dutton had to do was say, I'm just dealing with the facts, ma'am, and boom, work to treat. Soaked up, as you said, the best part of a week. Uh, the leader, David Littleproud, the leader of the uh, Nationals, also said, oh, yeah, of course, you know, blah, blah, blah. We'd back recognition 100%. Pretty well, I reckon, within 24 hours of Peter Dutton announcing after the referendum that they wouldn't be proceeding with it, uh, David Littleproud backed off as well. Yeah, and again, had everyone talking about that, it gave people that were either a soft yes or a soft no an yep. excuse to vote no because yep. um, you had this little bit of, uh, you know, this thing dangling over the horizon, um, another referendum, uh, which, of course, like yep. you said, the, the coalition had gone to several elections with that policy but it never had done so. And no. it just seemed to, as long the, the further the campaign went on, the more the level of discussion uh, deteriorated. And people and uh, culture warriors, particularly on the right, started to use the referendum to push all sorts of other agendas. But it, particularly in relation to uh, First Nations people and communities, there, there seemed to be this creeping nihilism when it comes to uh, service provision, policy development and governance for uh, Aboriginal people in this country. Because, well, as some said during the uh, election campaign, um, you know, pretty much just get over it. You know, get over what the trauma and the suffering you've been through. Here is what I'll... We, you mentioned infamy earlier um, in, the, in the program, Ian. Uh, let me play an infamous clip for you now. Do you believe the history of colonisation continues to have an impact on some Indigenous Australians? Uh, no. Very... I'll be honest with you, no. I don't think so. Positive impact? Absolutely. I mean, now we've got running water, we've got readily available food. I mean, everything that my grandfather had when he was growing up, because uh, he first saw whitefellas in his early adolescence, we now have. Otherwise, he would have had to live off the land, uh, provide for his family... Uh, and all of those measures, which uh, Aboriginal Australians, many of us, uh, have the same opportunities as all other Australians. I have talked to Indigenous people, and I'm sure others have too, who talk about generations of trauma among Indigenous Australians as a result of colonisation. But would you accept that there have been generations of trauma as a result of that history? Well, I guess that would mean that um, those of us whose ancestors were dispossessed of their own country and brought here in chains as convicts are also suffering from intergenerational trauma. So I should be doubly suffering from intergenerational trauma. So that was Senator uh, Jacinta Price. Uh, the people laughing in the front row were people like Michaelia Cash, uh, Barnaby Joyce, uh, Dave a little proud because she was saying the loud bit, um, she was saying the, the, the quiet bit out loud. Uh, Ian Ham, as a uh, member of uh, the Stolen Generation, do you, did you find those comments offensive? Uh, I think offensive probably credits them with some sort of substance more than anything. I was right. just... It probably said to me that Jacinta Price is not what I'd call one of the great intellects of the world. Um, she's playing to the 
band. Um, I mean, if I was being mean about it, I'd say she's more the monkey dancing for the organ grinders. But that's just, you know, me, which is, I retract that. That's being unfair. Um, I, I, I think I think a Price was really playing to, as I said, playing to her constituency, uh, such as it is, uh, a populist politician. But I'm yet to see anything out of her that actually has some real uh, intellectual um, substance to it, um, some policy depth, which is what you're required to have if you're in politics, um, uh, and really probably just a, 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 what would you say, a, a, a slogan politician. That is, I can have a slogan, but that's all I've got. It was a bit like when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister. I, I, I think it's fairly well agreed across the political spectrum that Tony Abbott is not a great intellect, nor was a great Prime Minister, but he could run a devastating slogan. Jacinta Price is a version of that. And she served her purpose for the opposition because it's, it's amazing how much... Well, not amazing, but she quickly dropped off the radar. Yeah. Very quickly dropped off out of the news cycle, very quickly disappeared from public view. And, in fact, she emerged in the past few days about something, which I can't remember what it was... But again, it was an Aboriginal thing, and it was almost like she was putting out outrageous statements just so, oi, over here, don't forget me, Jacinta, Jacinta Price. I think there's a bit of that going on too. But yeah. they, ran, they ran a very closed, the, the No campaign, the Conservative No campaign ran a very closed campaign. I think there was a, a analysis done a couple of weeks ago saying that um, the ABC had approached uh, Jacinda Price, I think it was 52 times, to appear on um, the ABC in all its forms, and uh, 52 oh. night times she said no. I remember doing um, a week of the 7am uh, podcast earlier this year. We approached the Conservative No side about 17 times, and every time uh, we were we rejected. Um, the, the, the Progressive No campaign uh, were far more generous in terms of their time and their commitment right. explaining their position which uh, would which had um, merit um, but um, I think it's it's concerning that we, we're having national conversations in which um, it would seem that one side of politics is happy to shout at the electorate and not explain things to the electorate yeah. and I think that's pretty much a, a case of you know, describing where we are as, as a democracy here in 2023. And I, I can only see it getting worse, Sam. What do you reckon? Oh, look, agreed. I mean, the, the, the campaign of the No campaign, that was, as a lesson in politics, it was, it was actually really good. I mean, they ran a disciplined campaign. They didn't go where they didn't want to go. They stayed within their own swim lane, as it were. We'll talk to Sky News. We'll talk to the, Her- the News Corporation. But we won't talk to anybody else. Um, we'll make sure that people who are asking us questions ask us the questions that we want to be asked, not the questions we don't want to be asked. Um, but it does reflect, I guess... I mean, look, at the end of the day, we get the politics and the governments that we deserve. This is a reflection of who we are as a people, who we are as a society. We want it in nice, simple, bite-sized, one-line chunks. The, the, the Yes campaign took a much more, I think, assumed Australians, by and large, were capable of dealing with complexity, dealing with reason and argument, dealing with um, or having a broad understanding of, of, of the issues surrounding this, and that just is not the case, you know. The, the best example I can give you, Daniel, is that 
but no campaign. If you saw their T-shirts, it just had, if you don't know, vote no on it, yeah. right? The Yes campaign had a T-shirt that had Yes on it. But what was the question to which Yes is the answer? And it has to be a question you can fit on top of a T-shirt. And we didn't. And the Yes campaign didn't do that. Instead, you had lawyers coming out with books which explained the Yes case. That's just not going to fly. The average punter is not going to read a book by a constitutional lawyer about why Yes is the right thing to do. Uh, a simple a simple thing comes in one on one page or one slogan that can fit on a T-shirt, not a 400-page book by a constitutional lawyer or a complex argument or read the Uluru Statement or a whole bunch of stuff. So from a pure politics perspective, the Yes campaign, the No campaign played with an absolute straight bat, didn't play at any ball that wasn't coming straight where they wanted it to go, didn't flash, as they say in cricket, outside the off stump, anything like that, whereas the Yes campaign was kind of just flailing the bat all over the shop uh, and not hitting anything. 12 to 8 here on AAA. You're listening to The Mission. My name's Daniel. I'm speaking with uh, Yorta Yorta man, uh, Ian Ham about the year that was. And, of course, on October 14th, Ian, the referendum went down resoundingly. Um, 60% of uh, the uh, community resoundingly voted uh, no. Uh, what that has done in the meantime, it seems to have given conservative politicians around the country in particular uh, the excuse to go carte blanche on a whole range of issues. And one of those issues um, that's pertinent to First Nations people around the country in various jurisdictions is treaty. What we have now is a clip from uh, David uh, Christofulli, who is the opposition leader in uh, Queensland. And this is the position he took on uh, the 19th of October, uh, less than a week after the referendum result. The future of Queensland's path to treaty is in jeopardy tonight after LNP leader David Crisofulli pulled his support. The about-face follows the weekend's referendum on a voice to Parliament. Veering off the path to treaty. It's my view that to continue down the path to treaty uh, would cause further division uh, at a time when Queensland needs unity. David Crisofulli walking away from the legislation after it passed in May with bipartisan support. It is an opportunity I believe Queensland should embrace wholeheartedly. As early as Sunday, the opposition leader said he was still in favour, but overnight a change of heart, citing the overwhelming no vote on the voice referendum as the basis for the decision. When Queenslanders speak, leaders should listen. We have a leader of the opposition who says one thing and does the complete opposite. How can you trust this man to be a leader uh, of Queensland? While the government can forge ahead with the path to treaty, Anastasia Palaszczuk admits the opposition's new stance could jeopardise the policy's prospects. For effective um, reconciliation and a path to treaty would require bipartisan support. The Premier refusing to make any guarantees on its future. The next stage is truth-telling. As I said, that's three or four years. I can't predict what happens in the, in, in the future. The LNP have made it clear. If they come into power at next year's election, the process would be stopped. Yeah, of course, that's from, um, you know, Queensland, or as some people unkindly like to call it, South Alabama. Um <laughs> 
and it was a, it was actually you know something that was quietly predictable. And I, I guess people listening to this now were thinking, well, here in uh, you know the People's Republic of Victoria, uh, surely the opposition must take a more progressive stance because we're much further down the path of the treaty here. But here is opposition leader uh, John Pesuto on Sky News again on October 28th. Victorian opposition leader John Pesuto has confirmed internal discussions are underway to walk back the coalition's commitment to working towards treaty. In an exclusive interview with Sky News, John Pesuto said he wouldn't rule out following his Queensland counterpart in the wake of the failed referendum. In his first televised sit-down interview following the October 14 referendum, John Pesciuto confirming reports of internal tension over treaty. We have no idea what Jacinta Allen really intends to put in a treaty. So we're going to have our internal discussions, and we are. Right? There are lots of internal discussions underway at the moment in light of the voice referendum. The resounding no vote prompting a rethink in the Victorian Liberals. For us, we'll make our decision known in due course. So you're not saying yes or no? Uh, that's, uh, what, well, we will, but what I'm saying is we're having internal discussions. Well, we're having internal discussions, but again... But are those internal but, discussions but again, prompted by the there, referendum, though? Well, in part, yes. It doesn't bode particularly well for the state processes, Ian, but in terms of the push by um, some people across the community to push for a treaty, I would suggest on the back of the referendum result that uh, there being a national treaty negotiated between the government of the day and First Nations people won't happen in your or mine uh, lifetime. What do you reckon? Uh, agreed. It's dead in the water. Yeah. As is uh, a national truth-telling process. They're, they're just both dead in the water. That, I think what people fail to understand about this referendum, this wasn't just a referendum on the proposal to have a voice mechanism. It was an existential threat, wasn't it? We're dealing it with was... existential matters. Yeah, it was it was a it was a referendum on the place of Aboriginal people in in the, in our nation. That's what it was a referendum on. Everything got chucked on the table in one roll of the dice, and it lost. So so to see oppositions come out, uh, not just not supporting treaty processes, but actively against them. I mean, I've got to be brutally honest. On the figures I saw from the refer- for election night. You would have been uh, negligent as an opposition if you didn't think, hey, I can weaponise this against the governments, you know, who are supporting treaty. Um, that's, that was the, how high the stakes were. This was a referendum on our place in the country, period. So, so yeah, absolutely, Daniel. We're not going to see a national treaty in our lifetime. My worry is that uh, the, the optimism and hope we had a year ago around state-based treaties, I think that that has been severely wound back as well. You yeah, know, there's a treaty the processes real... here um, and across, across the country, no matter how far they are down the track, will rely on bipartisan support. And it would seem that here in Victoria that bipartisan support is either diminished or gone. And I guess that's something that we'll need to keep an eye on for 2024. Well, Look, well, I... well it was, I was just going to say... I think you rethink your tactics around how you do treaty in Victoria now. So John Prasuto said he would sit back and see what the Allen, Allen government negotiated or the Allen government proposed in a treaty. If I was the First Peoples Assembly, I would propose not negotiating with just the government but with the Parliament of Victoria. Mm-hmm. And that necessarily pulls in the opposition into the negotiating process, which means they can't sit back as, and, not, and not be an active player 
that, in the treaty. That assumes, that assumes they come to the it. table because they tried the same thing with well, Peter Dutton with the voice and he didn't particularly come to the table. Look, we've got two minutes left. Yes. Um, I yep. just want to uh, let you get home, um, have a bath, have a feed, um, have a gin and tonic, <laughs> um, chastise the children, whatever it is that you do when you get home. Um, two issues that I see as, apart from all the other things like uh, incarceration rates, death in custody, yep. uh, educational attainment, the two major issues I see for First Nations communities in 2024 are, one, cost of living, and two... Yep. Climate change. We saw in we saw in um, Cairns the devastating impacts of having six foot of rain mm. in 24 hours. They impact Aboriginal communities more than any other, and the same with the cost of living because it's those at the lower end of the uh, economy that are affected the most. And of course, that's First Nations people. What do you say? Uh, you're absolutely right. But again, the disproportionate impact on Australia's First Nations people will be shown through again on those two subjects. Cost of living, because we are at the bottom of the economy, and because of climate change, because we're those who, who in a range of situations, the most exposed to it. One is because of incredibly poor housing uh, yeah. and the location of a lot of those housings. And, for example, you know, North Queensland, for example, where a lot of remote communities are. So, uh, yeah, you're right. I think they will be prescient issues for us in 2024, notwithstanding anything else. But if I was to say there's one thing I do want to see in 2024, I think we have to talk... I think we have to start talking about... Because uh, 2023 was a lot about what's bad about being Aboriginal, what's wrong with us. I'd like to stir up the ante a bit on, let's talk about what's good about being Aboriginal and let's talk about what we contribute to this nation already and what more we can contribute if given half a chance. I think we need to start those conversations as well. Well, let's hope that the uh, the Christmas and New Year's break uh, gives us an opportunity for all of us to reset, and let's hope that uh, there is some common sense that comes to what's happening in the Middle East because that's taking up so much yeah. of our emotional and intellectual energy at the moment as we um, watch on in horror. But, Ian, thank you so much uh, for, <laughs> for making the time to um, speak to us. Um, thank you for your contribution throughout the year. We'll speak to you again next year, but uh, have a safe uh, Christmas and a, and a happy new year, and I'll see you on the other side. And you too, Daniel. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And to everybody who's listening, have a great break, have a great Christmas, and come back refreshed in 2024. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <laughs>